Ben and welcome to a very different episode of College Football Down Under. My name's Aaron Kemp. As always, I am joined by Will Murden, and this is Will Famous Grouse Murden tonight, actually. How's it going tonight, Will? Yeah, good, mate. I, I was going to say it was a very different entrance, but it wasn't really. It was very much the same, just kind of delivered a little differently, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, it was. And a bit, mel- not melancholy is not the right term, but a little bit... You know, we're just trying to ease off the gas pedal a little bit on this Friday night, uh, and... We've got an opportunity to have a bit of a chat about season 2019 and all things that are college football, all the things that have happened and and maybe looking forwards a little bit as well to uh, some teams that we think are going to threaten towards the end of the year, some coaches that may end up in different locations at the end of the year and a whole bunch of other stuff in between. If you hear us throughout the night get up or what sounds like someone getting up to go and get themselves another drink, that is definitely what is happening. Um, but we are just going to take a little bit of a different direction, just cruise a little bit. It's just going to be yeah. like a, it's a slow down, slow down Friday night after drinks kind of set up. So Absolutely. we hope you enjoy a bit of a mid-season preview and I mean... We've got off to a massive, massive start for this year. Uh, what are your thoughts, your initial takeaways on the first half of season 2019? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been brilliant. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I think the last few years have been somewhat disappointing because it has been quite static up the top and the good teams have... Like we've just had Alabama and Clemson and I'm not saying we don't still have that but it feels like there could be a bit more. It feels like more so than the last couple of years that there are genuine contenders for them. There seems to be some chinks there. Alabama's through uh, injury and Clemson's through some a little bit of mediocrity, I guess. Like it just... They haven't been challenged, well, except for that North Carolina game. <laughs> But it's it's really one of those ones where it seems open. We've had some great games. It's been great fun to watch. Uh, as you were saying, kind of leading us in, I think tonight's just going to be a bit of a casual session. We've, we've got a number of segments, we've called them, that we want to kind of get through, but it's just you and me talking shit uh, and seeing, you know, how we feel about this season and a few of the hot topics around it now when you say talking shit i mean that's not really too different from any other very any other week but uh i mean i suppose the be- real benefit of this week is that we actually get to spend some time together which is nice yeah what's it been like a month yeah it would have been like and we we don't just get to sit here i mean most people think yes we're drinking again we're going to think we're like borderline alcoholics and that is it's okay on a Friday night. I think that's cool. <laughs> okay. It's not also that far from accurate either at this point in our lives. Um, but I'm treating myself to uh, little creatures and... Uh... I've got a lot of cork in my famous grouse. So... <laughs> okay. Well, uh, this is going to make me giggle. Uh, so, th- speaking of which and things that make us giggle... How's the segue? Yeah. Was that deliberate? Thank you. No, but uh, I okay, just now. slotted that one in there. We are going to have a quick chat to start things off about things in college football that make us giggle. Now, some of the behaviours, some of the actions, some of the things you see on a Saturday are very different to what you would expect, particularly being an Australian in an AFL game. Um, 
and there's a whole range of different things that make us giggle when watching college football. Uh, we've got a few things, so why don't you kick us off, William? Okay, so yeah, I, when you pitched this, I thought, this like it's college football, what what do I giggle in? And then you kind of gave me an example, I'm like, oh, that is good actually, that, that's funny, and that immediately led me to this one that, that kind of bumped off, but when you're watching a college football game, what I love... I wouldn't say more than anything else, but I, what I really love to see is when a player makes a catch, goes down, they're short of the sticks, so it's like a second and ten, and they get eight yards. So they're a full like two yards short, and they get up and they signal the first down, like they get, and they're just bang, and I'm like, nope, 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 fucking ain't, mate, you're wrong. It's third and two, get back in the huddle, buddy. <laughs> exactly right. Like I, I really love that. Okay, well, I always really enjoy, and you see this at the NFL level as well, but there's a fumble, a strip sack, particularly at the line of scrimmage, a lot of congestion, and then it's just a mass of humans diving on a ball. And now there's like seven, eight, nine bodies around the ball at this time. And then someone will walk in, like a cornerback or a safety that was like 30 yards away from the play and they're just pointing furiously in the direction, particularly on the defense, like, yeah, yeah, we've got that. And then all of a sudden, one turns into two, turns into three as they're trying to unstack the pile. And it's like the players on defense believe if they wiggle their hands and point hard enough in the direction of their team that the umpires are going to go, well... Yeah, you've got the majority of fingers pointing in the right direction. I believe we're going to give you the ball. It's got a real NBA vibe about it. When as soon as it goes out, everyone's pointing like a certain way. It's like, I pointed first, so I, I get it. Like, mm, I don't think that's how this works here. But yeah. what isn't a laughing matter is the bottom of those piles. Oh. I, I remember speaking to one of the boys when I was at Oklahoma State who played on the team, and he was a, he was a linebacker on the team, and he wasn't quite balanced like he was a bit psycho but I think you need to be a college you know a D1 college linebacker and I remember him telling me like looking me dead in the eyes and goes, I love those situations because all you do is try and get whoever's got the ball to give it up so you're breaking fingers you're gouging eyes you do whatever you can to get them let the ball and I'm just sitting there fucking terrified because he is just like he looked like he was looking at my hands like I'm going to break your fucking fingers it was uh, scary alright what else you got for me okay so another one when thinking college football that makes me laugh every time I see Ed Orgeron out of LSU yeah you know what his voice is like. You think, oh, this is going to be good. I, I really like this. But every time, I can't help but underestimate how fucking crazy that voice is. Those tones. That, that <laughs> every time is, oh, is brilliant. If you are an Australian listener out there who has not heard or does not know what I'm talking about, just get on YouTube or whatever you can. Ed Orgeron interview and it doesn't matter what you pull up just listen to the guy talk and you'll be like he's taking the piss surely this ain't fucking real it's, it's good value alright the, the second thing that makes me not necessarily giggle but it's certainly got uh, that I really enjoy in college football it's when something goes a little bit out of system and I think the classic is when you get a freshman quarterback scrambling out of the pocket the defensive line is bearing down on them and you can just see the cogs in their head turning over. The coaches on the sideline screaming, throw it away, throw it away. And you can just see he's like, nah, I'm going to make a fucking play here. I'm going to throw it up to the middle of the field late. His wide receiver falls over and 
obviously there's three defensive players around there to pick it off. That's just one example, but it also could be like, I mean, the classic one is the Michigan, Michigan State blocked punt. And it's like the punter fumbles it and he's like, shit, this has never happened in my life before. What do I do? So I pick it up and I try and make something happen yeah. and it all just turns to shit. That was, I really enjoyed that, that. That was immediately what you had me thinking of there. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's not so much that blocked one, but when the punter has the option to run the ball. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know if you saw that Florida one that they tried to run against LSU. No, not LSU, the week before against Auburn, where he's obviously been given the ticket if you think you can get there, go for it. And he called his number. He didn't fucking have it. And like when that became apparent, he's just shitting himself because not only is he worried about costing that, but then like I'm about to get blown up and then I need to go to the sideline and front up to my head coach and be like, yeah, I thought I had it. I'm a six foot, 160 pound white punter and the monsters on D. I had them. They just got lucky. You got one more for me? I do, I do. My last one, and I think this is across both uh, college and the pros, but I really like jacked refs. (laughs) I was thinking that. Mike DeFeese? There seems to be a growing fraternity (laughs) of refs just getting to the gym and getting after it because these boys are wearing these tight... bloody zebra tops <laughs> bursting out of them I'm like my god that dude is a unit yeah and then you see him point and that yeah. that tricep is um, really sensing yeah. and they know all about it I think is it Mike Defee maybe not Mike's not the right name but Defee I think is his last name he is a giant dude he is sweet the last one that I have which is probably going to lose a bit of luster just to wrap this up and I'm probably going to bring it down a notch which is just on me really <laughs> but when kickers miss a field goal and everyone's focus goes to the holder and they're like, were the laces pointing out? Were they pointing in? Were they pointing out? As if somehow contacting with that little bit of white strip where the laces are has that big of an impact on shanking the ball. Dude, we've all seen Ace Ventura. <laughs> we, all, we all know Ray Finkel, dude. <laughs> Just looking for Ray Finkel in a new pair of shorts. <laughs> All right, so that takes us through a few things in college football that make us giggle. Feel free to hit us up on Instagram and uh, on Twitter at CFB Down Under with those things that make you guys giggle watching college football as well because this was what this great game is all about. Okay, on a little bit more serious note, I suppose, we are going to get to a few things that we did not see coming for season 2019. So this could be anything from teams, players, coaches, whatever, uh, that we probably didn't predict. And when we have a look back at things we did predict, I mean... Not many of them are very accurate, so if you'd just gone in the opposite direction, you'd probably be okay. But these are things, what, what's some things that you did not see coming for this year? Okay, with? so I think the, the first one is a, a bit of low-hanging fruit here. Joe Burrow at LSU, he has come out of nowhere, really. He, he was a highly recruited guy, went to Ohio State, came across as a transfer. And then I think the big thing was last year we were expecting to see a bit in his first year there and nothing happened he fizzled hard he was average their offense was average so going into this year there was nothing for anyone really to expect him to explode I don't think his parents think he was going to be this good this year like he has just shocked the world to now be in the heart of the 
Heisman race, to have For his sure. team ranked two in the country, and to be playing absolute elite football. I mean, he's now being talked about as a potential first-round top-ten quarterback even, which is just insane to think about from the start of the year. I would not have had him anywhere near that. Yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of thanks to be given to uh, Brady, his passing game analyst, who's all of about 30 years old or 29 years old or something. Uh, and he looks to have a bright future ahead of him wherever he decides to go next. I mean, there's no way that LSU are keeping him for too much longer, I don't think. he'll. Well, go yeah, unless he takes see. that head job or something. But yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah. He, he seems to have worked wonders there. But I also think the two of us have got a bright future ahead of us as well. So Our parents don't think so either, though. <laughs> like Both of our parents, sets of parents are disappointed in us. All right. Uh, I probably didn't see the Justin Fields thing coming, and this has probably got me going a little bit from a... makes me question the Georgia decision, because he has lit that Ohio State offense up. I mean, it's always been quite a prolific offense and a very quarterback-friendly since whoever it was, JT Barrett, who am I thinking before him? Braxton Miller. Braxton Miller. And then Cardale Jones came in as like a third string and just went off, got him to the national championship game. In fact, won the national championship game. Uh, and then, of course, they had Dwayne Haskins in there. And and whilst they those guys can all move, they're all a little bit different. And Justin Fields is that again. But he has taken that Ohio State offense to, I'm not going to say another level, but it's certainly, I didn't pick Ohio State being the absolute weapon that they are. I, did, I thought they'd be off the mark a fraction with Ryan Day coming in as in, in his first year as a head coach. And then, you know, to come in as a, as a, effectively a freshman quarterback in your first year of starting, to have them in legitimate college football playoff contention and obviously look to be outside of probably Wisconsin, the real force in the Big Ten. You know, he has done a fantastic job. And I thought we would see uh, Justin Fields in Ohio State. I thought that I was going to feel about them almost the same way that I feel about a team like uh, Florida or Penn State, where, yes, they're good. Yes, they'll finish ranked inside the top 10 probably, but they just don't appear to be that great. And I was really wrong. Yeah, no, I mean, he fits like a glove I think for that offense it is a a match made in heaven and he's really unlocking some special things there so you're spot on in that one I'm not sure he is a freshman this year he did get some snaps last year I think all that exposure at the college level is massive so like that that does give you a foot up but I certainly didn't predict him to be going as well as he is Uh, and that probably leads me into my next one which is just the big 10 on the whole I think the other conferences I had pegged fairly well like the SEC, I thought the good teams who are good would be good. I think I thought Just a bit of a brag session here for Will, but well, I thought the ACC would be trash and it is. <laughs> I thought the Pac-12 would be a mess and it is, and I thought the Big Twelve would be pretty good and OU would be the cream there. But the Big Ten, I just whiffed on hard. I had Michigan being the best team there. You were pretty high on Michigan State as well. Yeah, I, I, yeah, correct. I thought that they were going to be good. I thought Ohio State would be good, but I didn't have them nearly as good as what they are. Uh, and I thought, you know, teams like... Number one team in the country, aren't they, Will? Ohio State, yeah, yeah. for me at the moment. <laughs> uh, and, and I certainly didn't have that. I'll, I'll own up to that one. Wisconsin too, I, I thought that they were going to be average. I didn't even think that they would win their side of the conference. 
and they look to be elite. I have them at three at the moment where I had teams like Northwestern to be okay. They were good last year. They made that championship game. I expect for the step back, they've looked terrible. Mm. So I, I really miss That defense them. is good. The defense is good. Yeah, but they're, they're not scoring at all. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, and that's I, an issue. And, and I don't know about you, but like Hunter Johnson, five-star guy. I'm not doing. I'm not assigning that five-star. I didn't recruit him, but I kind of bought into it a little bit. You do. You love it. You love a star ranking. I, and as a guy who follows Oklahoma State, you'd think you wouldn't because we don't get any of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he, yeah. I, maybe that's why I do like him because they're that unatta- unobtainable... <laughs> You really want it because you can't have it, sort of dealio. But that's where I missed, man. Uh, okay, and the last one that I've got is things that I didn't see coming, or certainly probably this is probably on the disappointing side of things. Is Alabama assistant coaches, or for, more importantly, former Alabama assistant coaches? So Mike Loxley out at Maryland, despite his big wing, big win in week one or two, certainly early in the season. One, one but it was early on. Yeah, against Syracuse. Uh, they've been a disappointment. Dan Enos, the offensive coordinator, who was pegged to be the next offensive coordinator at Alabama, and lots of the big schools were coming after him, went to Miami, and he's probably turned the numbers around there, but that offense doesn't look good. That offensive line's a mess, and they're 3-3, three and three, and a lot of the responsibility goes to that offense. Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator at Michigan, has copped his fair share of heat, not only on this show, but also in the national media in America, is a hot mess. Jeremy Pruitt, at the head coach at Tennessee, they came into the year, and a lot of people were thinking that Jeremy Pruitt and this Tennessee team, yeah, they, are, they took their lumps last year and uh, Jarrett Guarantano would come in and, and be a really, really good quarterback for a Tennessee team that was going to turn things around. That has not happened at all. They've been really disappointing. And the last one that I'll mention, although this is a defensive line coach, but a highly rated one from Missouri originally, went to Miami for a year and then went to Alabama as being one of the best technicians along the defensive line of anyone. And that's Craig Kuligowski. He is currently getting paid $750,000 for this season by Alabama to not coach the defensive line. He has been relieved of his duties and that happened last year. And, you know, it's just been so interesting to watch a disappointing set of coordinators or a highly touted set of coordinators go on and and not really have an impact. And a lot of people are comparing the Saban coaching tree. Yes, we can hear you pouring that drink, Will. Um, A lot of people are comparing that Saban coaching tree to the Bill Belichick coaching tree, which in the NFL has had its struggles. Which does that show that Saban is the single sole linchpin of that organization in the same way that Belichick has been touted that for the New England Patriots? I mean, perhaps. I think these things take time, though. I don't think any of these guys are coming in with magic Alabama dust and that can be sprinkled on a program and all of a sudden they're much better. I think any head coach who's stepping into a tough situation needs a couple of years to start to turn things around. It's it's very rare that you go in and get immediate results from a team that's not already got some of that set up. Yeah, I agree and I disagree. I think you can take some lumps with a team. I don't have an issue with that. If you see progression in the right area, but unfortunately what we're seeing is that you look at a team, Scott Satterfield, right? That Louisville team was historically bad last year. 
And he's taken that team and yeah, you know, they're not great, but there's improvement. You know, they're probably going to go in and get rolled by uh, Clemson this week, but they've got to win against a ranked team already this year. I bloody hope they lose by more than 24 points. <laughs> so you're seeing improvement there, so you take that. Your boy, bloody Willie Fritz or whatever his name is, who continues to win everywhere, you see turnarounds after 12 months. Maybe it's not necessarily in the win-loss, but it's definitely in the... Uh, and just as Will pulls some cork out of his next drink... Um, It's definitely in the performance and the numbers and the metrics that you like to see. Maybe their third down uh, completion percentage increases. Maybe their red zone scoring uh, increases. Maybe they go from conceding 35 points a game to 28 points a game, which is a touchdown difference, which is massive. But all these coordinators have failed to do that, which is really, really disappointing. Yeah, well, I will agree with you that... They're not like Clarko's disciples. They don't go on. Let's and... move on from the Hawthorne bullshit. Uh, can you wrap us up with anything you didn't see coming or are we happy to move on there? My last one, quickly. I did not see Mac Brown turning North Carolina into a competitive team that almost provided the upset of the century. Yeah, uh, that would have been actually. That would have been huge. So they, they've they been pretty good. They've won games. I thought that they were going to be absolute trash and he was going to struggle to try and reestablish himself. But apparently, on one end, I'm saying there's no Alabama magic dust. Maybe there is some Mac Brown magic dust because uh, he he's done all right. They're not they're not awesome, but they're certainly true freshman quarterback. Yeah, he can't dance. That's a thing. That, don't when you're googling yeah, Ed oh. Orgeron, don't Google Mac Brown dancing. That is. It's a painful old white dude trying uh, to do uh, stuff. That's it's like watching like 1950s like box stepping yeah. no touching allowed but at the same time I feel like if we were to head out to the club these Obviously days we would crush it. it would be we a would lot similar to dude us. all you need to do is floss and shit like on Fortnite <laughs> that's all the kids are doing these days anyway uh, let's head into I know you're excited about this segment we are going to revisit our bold predictions from the start of the year now Will has painfully gone back and listened to our season launch episode Although it's probably less painful for him because he's going to come in with a big gloating hot head here as I get to hear about just the dumpster fire that I predicted at the start of the year. Yeah, I mean, you do, but it's not painful for me. I really worry about you and not listening to our episodes because for mine, I I quite like listening to us back and... When I go back and listen to much older episodes, I get a little embarrassed about how wrong we are a lot of the time, which ain't great. But it's not so bad for me, and I think uh, we do we do all right sometimes. <laughs> we do all right sometimes. Well, not necessarily on our bold predictions, and, and that's kind of what I'm trying to lead into here. So the season-long predictions that we made this year uh, have kind of gone a couple of ways. Uh, for you... It's not in a good direction, I suppose. So so to lead things off, uh, your first one was that Clay Helton would be fired before the Notre Dame game. Yes. And that hasn't happened. Uh, No. So... And if anything, the heat on him has almost simmered a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't gone away completely, but... He got a little bit of a reprieve with the quarterback going down. Yeah, JT... Um, Daniels yep. and then even Ken Slo- uh, Slovis went down for a game as well so yeah but mm, 
Anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, you missed on that one, so that's right. Uh, my first one, not looking great at the moment either. Virginia Tech to win the ACC Coastal. So you just play the long game. I've got to stop, like, committing early. Yeah, you, you are shooting yourself in the foot and just, <laughs> oh, I like it. Just swing for the fence if you don't hit it. It's, yeah. it's like playing cricket, right? Where you can get after it, and if you get out, that's fine. You're in the sheds, sink and piss, all good. I'm still in there. <laughs> Grafting. Bat away. and pad together. <laughs> 15 off about 85 deliveries. Yeah. But I'm sweating. <laughs> yeah. you, you're having a great time. You're 16. Yeah. So that's all good. Uh, so, yeah, Virginia Tech to win the Coastal. I mean, realistically, they're not looking great. One and two yeah, in conference. The, they've looked pretty piss poor too, so yeah. I'd be I'm backing away from that one. I'm, <laughs> I'm not thinking it, but miracles do happen, so maybe something there. Uh, your next one, which is still alive, this is your long game. Is this my only one that's this still alive? This is your only one that's still alive. Spoiler can, well, how about we go? Can we go to the one that's okay. dead in the water okay. first? Then yeah, how yeah. we do that? Certainly. So you had one that you were really testing me to go back and make sure I do, do a bit of research and look all of this. You picked a bunch of teams that you said were going to be ranked at one point and as soon as they were ranked they were they would remain ranked I think this was over week one actually yeah, it though. was yeah <laughs> so you had Nebraska who lost uh, week one correct <laughs> got done So and they were like right on the edge in yeah. week one too so that wasn't good for you that was done there but then you also had uh, Washington who were looking alright and then they dropped two they dropped to a pretty bad Stanford team so that kicked them out uh, you also had TCU, who oh. didn't start in, made their way in, and then quickly made their way out again. And they will stay out as well. They're not yeah, good. Yeah, so, so those weren't great calls. Uh, but on the other hand, glass half full. Oregon, still in. That's good. Michigan, <laughs> haven't looked great. <laughs> well, they've only dropped one. But though. haven't dropped out. Yeah, they exactly. they one game. And they're going to win this week, so all sweet. And... Uh. And, I mean, the timing of this app probably ain't great, too, because a lot of people are going to listen to this after the results of the weekend, and I'm either going to look like a genius or a fucking idiot. (laughs) Uh, You had Iowa as well. So even though they've had a couple of losses, they're still kicking around. I think they're still at 19, so all good there. So that one's no good. Yeah. Uh, For me, the next one was that Stanford will not get to a bowl game. This is a very spicy take, and it looks like it's coming up bloody millhouse here a little bit for you i mean they had a disappointing they've had a couple of games where they really went close i mean like we're looking at this on the negative view so they really they really won games that they perhaps shouldn't have (laughs) that's not what you need exactly exactly so they beat washington what the fuck (laughs) don't be doing that 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 kills me and then they almost got done by oregon state they scraped by in that one that would have been great for me if i could have pulled that out but even then, with that... I mean, they still, lost to UCLA today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still three and four at the minute. So they need three wins to become bowl eligible. And they have Arizona, Colorado, Washington State, Cal, and Notre Dame on the schedule. So let's pencil in Notre Dame beating them. And that might not be fair, but at this stage, we'll yeah, take that fair. one away. That means... I think they, that one's in South Bend South as Bend, well, yep. isn't it? I yeah, think. Yep. Yeah. So that means they need to win three out of four in their remaining conference So games. take me through those teams again. Arizona, Colorado, Washington State, and Cal. Uh, okay, so Cal, I would say, would go in as favourites. After watching the 
terrible offensive display that Stanford put up today. You'd say Cow would go in favorites to that. Colorado, hard to know what you're going to get there. Probably It's on the road against Colorado. So they've got Arizona uh, at home. Yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd probably, ta- I'd probably take Arizona there. It's a, it's on, a I mean, I don't know, really know where Stanford City. They're up and down all over the place. Correct. But. I mean, you would have taken them today against UCLA and they got beaten comprehensively. Yeah, exactly. So they're at home again, Arizona. Who knows? At Colorado. That's a tough one. Uh, at Washington State in Pullman. They probably drop that. I don't know if they can score enough to stay yeah. with. And then they have State. Cow coming to town. So I think I, I'm shaping up pretty well in this one. Yeah. I mean, they've still got to drop three out of four the rest of the way. And that's... You'd pick a Stanford team to jag two out of two there, probably. Sorry, two out of four. Go Hmm. split it the rest of the way. But certainly in a good shape. So well done, you. Thank you. Thank you. We we won't celebrate too early, though. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So your last one that is still on the table and looking okay, Clemson to go undefeated and win the national championship. So to back up... The feat last year, they're doing it again. Seems a tough ask, but they're still live. And it doesn't look like they're going to get challenged in conference, so they will be live. It's just when things get to the pointy end. They've had that upset chance. I think that one's in the rearview mirror. We won't see that again now. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's live. Well, I watched the Clemson-Florida State game and Dabo Swinney came in hot. And I watched that in its entirety, and he was coaching as if that game was their national championship. He was not going to put up with another down effort. And his kicker, as we'll pull some cork out of his teeth, uh, the kicker missed a field goal, like a relative chip shot, 30-ish yards just before the half. And he just went full noise on him, uh, put him on blast, to the and he benched him. He had kickoff duties, didn't kick extra points. They put in some fat old dude who, you know, did some stuff, knocked a couple through would for be, extra points. Would but. be skinnier and younger than us. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. You never know with kickers these days. But yeah. Um, but he looked like a man that was not going to put... And, and that, that goes down to the quality of the coaching at Clemson. He is going to have them prepared for every game the rest of the way. So here's to hoping. <laughs> Yeah, okay. That, that that could happen. My last one, Cincinnati to make a group of six bowl game. So what's a group of six bowl game? A New Year's six uh, uh, bowl sorry, game? Sorry, that's what I meant. A New Year's six bowl game. So what's a New Year's six bowl game? Take us through it. For our Australian listeners yep. now, The yeah, what what is it? Why are they the revered bowl games? Uh, I mean, there are... Previously, it was four, I think, of the bowl games that had a higher status about them. So they are allocated to certain uh, conference winners or champs or representatives to be able to earn your way into it. The classic one the gets Rose called... Bowl? The, yeah, the, the granddaddy of them all, I think it gets called, yeah. is between the winner of the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Correct. And That's always played in the Rose Bowl in California every year. Very illustrious bowl to get... Correct. Uh, and in, well, not an invite to, to earn your way to. Correct. And there are sometimes exceptions. So if you do make it to the national championship, then you would play in that rather than the bowl game previously. Now it's been incorporated in to the semi-final dealio. Right, yeah. So you don't have that automatic tie-in anymore, which is 
this and this is where I don't know if we're going to get to this tonight, but this is where I've got an issue with the college football playoff. And we've spoken about the college football playoff a little bit and the fact that you're a massive believer in it. You believe in going to eight teams. I still don't know that if I think that the college football playoff is a good thing for college football. Um, and part of my belief in that is the fact that the tradition of college football is the thing that is lost in professional sports and college football still retains some of that and you're losing that when you go to a playoff. What if I pitch this to you then? Because mm. we're locking away in my uh, little uh, eight, yeah. eight team. Just dealio. getting off track here slightly, but yeah. That's, that's what this episode's all about. I think people have signed up for this. <laughs> if they're still listening in, we appreciate it. Uh, in my scenario, let's say the winner of the Pac-12 and the winner of the Big Ten always play off against each other. So the seeding kind of goes out the window a little bit and we retain that to play through to the next round. I would be more interested in that. I think to be, as much as I don't believe in the playoff, I think eight is better than four because I do like the idea of taking it out of the hands of computers and uh, media personalities. I don't necessarily think that that's the right way to go about it. The problem is you do lose a bit of fairness in that if you start playing that game because if you do that and then you say and let's say the winner of the SEC right, plays right, the winner right. of the Big Ten yeah, yeah. and then the pack t- the Big 12 has to play the group of five teams yeah yeah like, for sure absolutely I, I, I didn't actually even think of that but yeah that's not a great one but that is part of my argument which I, which I don't love but anyway coming back to your original point about the group of six which so the group of six, the New Year's Six bowl game. So these are the all the bowl games that are played post New Year's Day or on New Year's Day and later. Uh, and they are the big illustrious ones that people always wanted to get in, uh, invited to. And you could win the national championship by getting invited to or earning your way into any of these games historically. So if you went to the Orange Bowl and you won that and you were ranked at number one, fantastic, you win. If you go to the Rose Bowl and you're ranked number two, the number one team you don't play against, they're playing in the Orange Bowl, but the number one team loses. You, in the Rose Bowl, uh, number two, you're UCLA, hypothetically, uh, and you go and beat Michigan State, then you would jump the number one team, etc., without yep. actually ever playing them. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, there's a lot of history behind them, and, yep. and that still is continued on, but it is kind of that what they try and do is have the top 12 teams in the country playing off in these. So two of the games are kind of allocated to the semi-final matchups. And then four of them are the other desirable bowls for those that have missed that. So my call was that Cincinnati would essentially finish in the top 12 and make it into one of those bowl games. And losing to Ohio State 42 to nothing did not help that. (laughs) Uh, that's it's not what you want on your CV, a big forty-two to no. goose egg, shell, egg shellacking. But since that moment, things have only gone well for them. So Ohio State have done that to everyone that they've played, yeah, and they've won convincingly in most of their games. Maybe not against UCF, that was a tight tussle, but that's a good UCF team, and that was one that they needed to win, and they got that win. So that, that's a really good result for them. If they run the table, they've the American Conference is looking really, really strong this year. 
they still so they they beat Houston, who are a little bit down, but they've got Tulsa, uh, they've got Temple and Memphis to finish the year. I think if they kind of run the table from here on in, it's within the realms of possibility that they finish in that top twelve. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not just about finishing the top 12 as well. They've got to earn the bid into that yep, bowl. Yep. So the bowls work separately and they can choose to invite or accept. They could grab players. someone from 20 if they want. Exactly. They, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. But I think, yeah, there's a case we made for them. So yeah, for sure. I'm alive there. Yep. All right. And just lastly, our preseason Power 5 champion picks. So from the Power 5 conferences, the teams that we picked to make it out as the conference winners. In the Pac-12, I picked Oregon. You picked Oregon Oregon as as well. So we're on the same page there. ACC was obviously Clemson for both. SEC. Alabama for both. Did I pick Georgia? Well, I think I picked Alabama. We'll have to go back to the tape. I mean, I it, I mean yeah. Georgia sounds like something stupid I would do. <laughs> Big 10. I had Michigan. I also had Michigan, I believe, uh, which isn't looking good. Uh, and in the Big 12, I had Texas. And I took Oklahoma. Okay, so you're looking a little bit sweeter than me there. Texas, around the mark, but nothing too substantial. Okay, Will is taking us back to 1998 as we talk... Not a movie that involved Bruce Willis and uh, I can't think of anyone else. That's Billy Bob up. Thornton? Yeah, Ben Affleck. Liv Tyler? Liv Ty- yeah, okay. So if, if you are playing at home and we are playing with animal crackers on bellies... Here we go. We are talking Armageddon. That is actually not the movie we're talking about. We're talking about Deep Impact. So these are the five players that we have chosen each that we think are making some of the biggest impacts on college football for season 2019. Uh, I'm just going to reel through your five straight up, Will, so we won't go one for one. Take us through it. Can you make it sharp for us? You want me going the whole five in a row? I think so, yes, because mine's mine's themed up. I'm themed up. So so. you want to get on a roll for yours? Yeah, I want to get on a roll. Okay, so... My five impact players are a bit all over the shop. Uh, you have a theme. I've kind of gone a bit piecemeal with it. But my first one is uh, an Aussie lad. He is a difference maker for Kentucky. Not making hey. t- the hugest amount of difference for him because they are struggling a bit this year. But he is by far the best punter in the nation so far this year. I'm talking about... Max Duffy. Duff man. So awesome, awesome. And we still don't know what he looks like. No, not, not at all. But we know he can kick a football. So on the year, he is still averaging over 50 yards a punt. He has a long of 63. His net yard average is 47.7. That is better than all bar five's gross average. Wow. So net average, of course, includes the return by the, the whole line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... That's absolutely incredible. He, he's pinned 14 inside the 20. He is kind of a consensus top punter at this stage. And if he continues on this, he's got a very bright future ahead of him. He's going to collect some hardware at the end of the year. And then would be looking at a potential NFL career, which is super exciting. Just got to get hot at the right time in that punting game. That's it. Okay, so my next one. Uh, defensive player, Chase Young. Okay. So he was one that I think... Anyone who's seen a picture of him is big on from the start of the year because there was one that was doing the rounds. You were big on him. Rock hard on him. Yeah, but he's a specimen. Like it's He makes his other defensive linemen look small. Exactly right. And and unathletic. Like dumpy 
overweight middle-aged men <laughs> correct correct and all of these guys are like lance franklin sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, no. like he is that special athlete and he's backing it up that's what you love to see like there's often there's a lot of hype on someone at the start of the year and the, they can struggle because they get double teamed triple teamed the whole def- like game plan is focused around stopping you as a player and it makes it incredibly hard for him he's helped that he does have a lot of really handy players around him and it hasn't phased him if that's been the case he's really gone off he has had eight and a half sacks already this year so he's on an absolute tear what's that on par for 17 sacks in a year at that DN position is just crazy. He's forced the fumble. He's batting balls out the air. He's going to be a top five pick. He is. And he's just, it's, you're not going to see the numbers out of defensive ends generally, especially a known one like he is. He's a known commodity. You're going to have to game plan around him. So, you know, you're putting in backs to chip. You're trying to help out as best you can with tight ends. DNs do have a bit of a luxury in that they, on known passing downs, they can get after it. You can't protect forever like you can at the D-tackle position, but he is definitely a weapon. Yeah, absolutely. And a great segue into my next one, the, a, D, a D-tackle at Go that on. position. Bit of D-tackle love. Absolutely. So only, uh, as you say, 17 tackles on the year. You think, oh yeah, that's not all that good halfway through the year. Trust me, he has been an absolute force. I'm talking about Derek Brown, the defensive tackle at Auburn. My God, every I've watched a fair bit of Auburn this year, and I've been every time I've walked away watch, from watching that game, thinking, "Fuck, that dude in the middle is an absolute wrecking ball." He is a difference maker to the T. He has so much presence in the middle of the field that he's not making the tackle but he's impacting the play he's moving the pocket he's got people worried and then you see breakouts where he had those two uh forced fumbles uh, the two fumble recoveries where he was running because that's going to happen when you're around the ball as often as he get in the end zone though dude get in the end zone (laughs) don't get turf monstered he he is oh man he's been super impressive for me so and you can see d tackles make their noise you just see him shocking an offensive lineman and he just takes their soul and drives them three yards into the backfield. And that's a massive win for a D-tackle. You don't necessarily need to go and make the play, but you're resetting the line of scrimmage. Correct. And then he goes and makes that play again. He's There's a couple of things about D-tackles, and I don't want to dwell too long on this, but like yeah. you're doing like the Warren Sapp, the Aaron Donald sort of stuff, where almost Jadavian Clowney, where there's nothing they can do about it. And they are completely disrupting fucking everything. Ndamukong Su in college was just wrecking house at, at uh, Nebraska when he yep. was in college as well. Um, the other thing about defensive tackles is you can never tell as a recruit. Like You might get a five-star D-tackle and they flame out. You get a two-star tight end, yeah. the transition across the D-tackle. He's a nothing. And then in his senior year when he's put on... 40 kilos and has learned how to play the position all of a sudden becomes a top 20 draft pick and they're just so hard to predict it's a great call because often the five star guys have already maxed out at at that high school level they are that man child who was always bigger than everyone else and they had 30 kilos on the high school lineman that they were going up against so of course I reckon ours then when they take a step up and everyone's the same weight and they're thinking fuck now I need to know can't just bull rush exactly right I need to know technique I need to be able to do a few things here it 
might not necessarily work for them where those dudes who were had to learn all of that craft and then could build up their body and then maybe were a late bloomer and, and have that athletic you know inside of them to take it to the next level it's it's a really interesting one i think it kind of the level of recruiting that they would do would go down to bloodlines and yeah. who, who's done that. It's a huge part of it. I mean, we constantly see time and time again that recruiting defensive line and offensive line is an absolute crapshoot. Mm. And even now you're seeing, even at Clemson, yeah, they've got a couple of holdovers, but their defensive linemen this year aren't doing what they were doing last year because they're young, a little bit inexperienced. They'll come in next year and dominate, and we'll be talking about them as freakish players again. But this year, they're very maligned, not really creating the havoc, and it's really hard to predict defensive linemen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving along. Uh, my next one, Tua Tagovailoa. Yep. So I had to give him a bit of love in here. He, I didn't think he could get more impressive than what he put up last year, and he has. Like, if you look at his numbers through six games, he is completing at nearly 75%. He's gone for over 2,000 yards at 11 yards an attempt, which is just huge. He's had 27 touchdowns and only the one interception. So the QB QB rating that they have for that, he is currently at 214. So I think the record for the end of the season, I'm not sure if it's ever got to 200. If he can, can if he can keep this pace up, he would be breaking all sorts of records. Obviously that's not going to happen because they have the meat of their SEC schedule ahead of them. It's going to get a lot harder for him. But from what we've seen so far, he has not missed a beat and he is just another level than a lot of dudes at the college level. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can't argue with that and I'm not going to bother trying. Cool. Um, so he's leading the nation in QBR. Is he? Uh, I don't I don't actually know. I'll double check. Have you got one more to go? Or are you done? I do, yep. So, so take us through that. I'll my, check some QBR numbers. My last one is my boy Chuba Hubbard at Oklahoma State. So I had to get him in here purely based on the fact that he has the most yards on the ground at the moment, the equal or most amount of touchdowns, I believe, rushing the ball. He's had a heavy workload through the first six games, so he's been lent on a lot, but is standing up. He's 162 rushes so far, but over a 1,000 yards, nearly 1,100 yards. He's had three 200-yard games uh, through the first six which is just ridiculous to think about when I think there's been one or two others across the season so far. He is really elevated his game. The team are leaning on him to do it. And it's like, it's a bit strange. I remember the last game that we lost to Texas Tech, I was watching it and I felt, fuck, give him the ball more. Like we didn't get the ball to him enough. You look in the box score at the end of the game, he had something like 36 carries. Like, oh, maybe, I'm, maybe I need to back down from that one a little bit. But he's the sort of guy that you just, you want the ball in his hands because the the stuff that's there, he'll take. If he needs to lower his shoulder and get that four or five yards, three yards to four yards, he'll do that. But he's also a chance to make one cut and be gone to the end zone every time he touches it. So I mean, he's carried the ball 162 times already this year. Now, we think that there's probably a couple of humans in here that we think carry the ball a lot. Jonathan Taylor's one, uh, and he's at a distant way off in 129 carries. AJ Dillon, who is the only offensive weapon at BC, is carried at 144, which is a massive workload. Um, he's a, 
over 300 yards behind Chuba Hubbard. Um, but yeah, obviously the volume of touches that he's getting far surpasses or and outstrips all of the competition. He would have enjoyed his bye week off though and he'll be ready to go for a big second half of the year. No doubt. And hopefully he won't flame out in the NFL like all other Oklahoma State running backs. Whoa, okay. whoa. Kendall so- Hunter was a boss. <laughs> okay. Uh, just a quick one on the QBR. There is... Barry Sanders is pretty good too. Barry- <laughs> throw that out there. Um, are you talking about Hall of Famer Barry Sanders? <laughs> I might. I might. Be. Okay. Uh, just on the QBR... Tua is not the number one QBR-rated quarterback at the moment. That goes to my first individual. And this is my first of five. All mine have a theme, and that is they start with the letter J, or there's the letter J in their name. He's been watching Sesame Street. I have. I have. I've been looking after your child, so that's what we do. And that goes to Joe Burrow. So he's got a QBR rating of 218. Tua's just behind at 2.14. And what did you say? No one's ever finished with anything over 200. I don't believe so, unless Kyler did last year. No, I think that's right. And uh, Jalen Hurts is also over 200. And the biggest issue is, is that you can often start well over 200 as you're playing those cupcakes. And then you come back to the pack a bit as you play all your conference games. So they've actually started from a further point. So there's a chance that someone does stay up there over 200. Anyway, Joe Burrow. 2,157 yards passing, 79% completion rate. Four out of five passes he's completing. That's ridiculous. 25 TDs, only three uh, picks this year. More importantly, he's leading the number one offense in the country. Even more important than that, the LSU Tigers are undefeated and appear to have jumped into the top echelon of college football. So well done to him. I was a doubter, a very vocal doubter last year on Joe Burrow, the LSU offense. No more. I believe in them, which again, I have stated quite vehemently on this show. So well done to him. Secondly, my second J is Jalen Hurts. He is 12th in the country in rushing yards. As a quarterback with 630, he's got eight touchdowns as well. He's 10th in the country in passing, 1,750 yards and 17 times into the end zone for that. So well over 2,000 all-purpose yards. And he makes that Oklahoma offense look as dangerous as it ever has under Kyler Murray uh, or Baker Mayfield in the previous two years. There's no reason why he cannot be winning the Heisman at the end of the year at this stage. No, certainly not. If he keeps this up, he's right in the thick of things. So that's it's really unheard of for a school, a program to have three Heisman winning quarterbacks in a row. I mean, the fact that that two was pretty amazing. I don't know if that's ever happened before. I suppose as a host of the show, back to back. No. I probably should know that, but three just seems absolutely out of this world. So it seems as if he's got everything against him, but at the same time, he's certainly in the conversation. If I'm a dual threat quarterback, I know that I am not allowing schools to recruit me. I'm going to be recruiting a school. And by a school, I mean a coach, and that is Lincoln Riley. So Derek King looking at you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, my third one is a wide receiver, Justin Jefferson. He has been fantastic to go along with his running mate in my chase at LSU. But Jefferson is seventh in the nation in receiving yards. He's got eight touchdowns. Someone is going to fall in love with him in the lead up to the draft this year. He's six foot three, a big, long, rangy frame. Looks like a number one receiver at the next level. Um, and 
He's done a fantastic job. Relatively crisp route runner. He's got a long way to go there in that space, I think. Um, but certainly high points the ball, very athletic, and a really, really good player for the Tigers this year. Yeah, he is a special talent. Another one. I mean, they've got all these dudes. They've always had these athletic dudes. They have. LSU. It's never been an issue. Like this is where coaching is a thing. Exactly right. They've always had dudes who've gone on to the NFL and been pretty good as well, like Odell Beckham and, and those sorts. But they never really got it done at that college level, probably to where they should have, where it's starting to click for them now. So mm. he's certainly in that mold. Uh, the fourth one for me, Jonathan Taylor, 825 yards, 14 touchdowns. Do I need to say anything more about the Wisconsin running back? I don't believe so, no. Okay, either. cool. The last one, I'll get a defensive guy in there, Joe Backey from uh, Michigan State linebacker. Just in the thick of all things, 66 tackles at the halfway mark, so he's set to go over 120 for the year, which is a massive effort in college football. 10 tackles for a loss. He's got a pick as well, uh, and he leads one of the top defenses in the nation. Uh, Linebackers of it these days don't get as much love as they used to as the running game is becoming less and less... Uh, not relevant, it's still relevant, but it's certainly a side piece almost to the passing game at times. Um, and you still need those linebackers to fill gaps, hit hard, and then be able to play in coverage as well, and he can do all of that. Yeah, and you got to love a good college linebacker. I mean, last year we were spoiled with Devin White, Devin Bush. This year we're kind of... different type to those two, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but we're, we're kind of waiting for someone to fill that void, and he's certainly in that mould, I believe. Yeah, and I like those Big Ten linebackers that wear the like big butterfly collars on the back of the neck, and yeah, yeah going old school on it. All right, moving through Deep Impact, let's go to a conference roll call. So we're going to zip through the conferences and see just at this point who we believe, both backed by a record and also by perception of who is actually in contention to win their conferences at this stage, and also a bit of a class clown yeah, as well. So there's a team in every conference that were like, uh, you've missed the mark, you're relatively talented, but you've dropped the ball. They might be talented at particular positions, a particular side of the ball, but just haven't been able to get it together. They're busy dicking around drawing penises on the top of their tests. Yeah, that that one, and I'm sure our, a number of our listeners out there fit this bill where... I've drawn a penis on their test before. Well, well they, they've got that report card that came back and said, uh, all like all the talent in the world, really bright kid, does not apply themselves to their schoolwork. More interested in other shit. Sounds like your report card. Yeah, it is my report card. <laughs> I, I, got, I just finished my reports last term. That is exactly what I wrote. I think that was carbon copy for 12 years of my schooling. <laughs> uh, okay, well, uh, I've got three conferences, so I'll start in the Big Ten. Jump in if you've got any objections to any of these. But in the East, Ohio State and Penn State are the only two that are going to win out of there, uh, both undefeated and undefeated in conference play as well. In the West, uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota have to be considered because they are also undefeated and ranked at the moment. There's still a long way to go in that space as Wisconsin appear to be the clear class in the West, but until that has been fully decided, we do not know yet. Yeah, I think that's right. There's four teams kind of battling it out at the top of that conference there, so I would agree with you on that one. Class clown in this one has to be 
the Big Ten West winner last year, that would be Northwestern. They are 0-3 in conference so far. They have got a fantastic defense. They are ranked in the top 20 in just about all categories defensively. Their offense is a freaking hot mess. We talked about Hunter Johnson already on this episode, but they are in the shitter for the year and a really disappointing output by that Wildcats uh, offense, which may not score again this weekend against Ohio State. Yeah, I guess I probably missed this one uh, before in my chance to speak, but I'm going to go now. Uh, Michigan probably maybe worth a shot in the West. Uh, well, so they've dropped a game in conference. Yeah, already. but on the on the other side, so they'll still play Penn State this week. They win this right, then they play Ohio State. They beat them, um, then they'll go through to the conference championship game, right? Uh, it seems I mean, unlikely. Yes, but it's not going to happen. So okay, yeah. But I, I, I wouldn't. I'm not yet willing to discount that because I am. Okay, cool. Josh Gaddis, sick. <laughs> <laughs> Alabama former offensive coordinator. All right, uh, take us through the. Oh, you don't have the pack twelve. The SEC will. SEC. Okay, we'll go SEC. So there's still a fair bit alive in the SEC. Obviously, a number of teams in the SEC. But if we start over in the West, we have both Alabama and LSU unbeaten. Two of them uh, look to be the controlling sides. The other one that I would throw in there that could still cause a bit of havoc is Auburn. That I think that they lost that game to Florida, but they still have these teams on their schedule. And they have the potential to, to cause some issue in there. And if things start to get a little wonky and they start to beat up on each other because they're all really good teams, if they're able to get out on top, I could see a crazy result and them kind of representing the West. In it, It's unlikely, but I could see it happening. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much... It, it, we've got to be careful at this stage because conference play is really only just kicking off. Some teams, yeah, have, have completely withdrawn the line through their name already, but the SEC is not one of those, I don't think. Uh, outside of probably one or two teams, I'll miss Arkansas, uh, Vandy, Kentucky, Tennessee, and I'm just named five. <laughs> but like, I guess, I guess the t- the top. Oh fuck! I guess the top are still really undecided because they haven't really played each other yet. So there's still a long way to go there. Yeah, no, you're right. And then very the slick East, by me, thank you. <laughs> the East, I have three as well. So I have uh, Florida, nope. jo- Georgia, and Missouri. Yes. I'm still not big on Florida. I still and, and that, that's like they've got their loss now against LSU, but they are a decent side. They've shown that they beat that a good Auburn team, so they're going to be around the mark. Georgia obviously look beatable now, having been beaten, and <laughs> that's as Miz- good as my hot take in the uh, SEC. There, Missouri <laughs> have not yet. Uh, <laughs> also, another good take. Actually, no, they lost week one to Wyoming. Well, yeah, they? they did. Oh. They haven't lost in conference. Uh, yeah, so th- that's what I'm thinking there. Those three I mean, teams... that could look to be a really, really gross loss for Missouri. In the- well, if they keep it going, yeah, which they won't. I mean, they won't. Not, possibly not, but that'd be uh, one of this... Like, you know what we say? Like, I'm going to say that uh, Auburn have... Actually, it's more, there's more chance of both 
Michigan winning the Big Ten <laughs> and Auburn making it out in the West than there is Missouri getting out in the East. Okay. Yeah, oh, possibly. Uh, no, possibly, definitely. But of all the te- those undefeated teams in conference and that are making a bit of noise at the moment, so I'm talking your Baylors, your Minnesotas, we don't have a lot of confidence in those teams once the schedule gets a little bit harder. Probably Missouri... I feel like are going to give it more of a shake. I don't know why. I think they're going to score more points, I suppose, okay. as well. Yeah. And, I mean, Kelly Bryant is a player. He's got a proven track record there, so that's fair. I probably need to watch a bit more Missouri football. If they win another couple of games, then, yeah, I'll dial in. Yeah. But I'm <laughs> not willing to make that call yet. So that, that's where I have in terms of who's going to challenge for the SEC this year. My class clown is Texas A&M. Oh, Wow. Uh, I have them as a team that have a lot of talent, but they're they're not. They've been over in the SEC for what four, five years now, six years, a while, even longer than that. Yeah, I know. It was the year after I got back, and time's really getting away from me. <laughs> I was going to say the college playoffs in its fifth year now, and they've been in the SEC for a long, long oh time. But they haven't really taken that next step, I don't think. And and it kind of has to happen at some point. So obviously, Jimbo Fisher's come across. They, they've they been recruiting really well. They've been pulling in top 10 recruiting classes. They've been getting the good players out of Texas, and there's a lot of talent in Texas. But it, it ain't stacking up. It ain't happening for them. They're, they're not in that top echelon like all of the other teams that I mentioned. Well, it's probably not including a couple in the East there. But they're... They're not quite there, but they should be. And then yeah. that's kind of why I have that. They're, there's something happening there. They're paying attention to girls and not uh, football, which is a no-no. Get after those big Texas women. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to jump into the Pac-12. Not literally, but in the South, we've got USC, Arizona State, Utah, and Arizona all at 2-2. Two and two. So that has the Destruction Derby in the South will continue. The North, Oregon are well clear at the moment and after this weekend will put themselves even further ahead. Uh, so they are the team that I think will come out of the North. The class clown for me in the Pac-12, there's possibly a few culprits, but the one that I'm going to go with is Washington State. Okay. And the reason for that is this was a team that was ranked well in the top 10 last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're partly I mean part of the the joking class clown thing is their coach who interviews if you want to actually listen to some hilarious interviews Mike Leach is a different operator if you read about him really interesting guy he's not a football guy he's actually got a rugby background uh, and very analytical mathematical kind of guy when he approaches the game Uh, but (laughs) hilarious because he called his Offensive line, fat, dumb, and happy or something earlier this year. Uh, Not only that, they were just up by a million points before losing to UCLA. So that was disappointing as well. Uh, They are a team that has got the number one quarterback in the country in terms of yardage, but that's not foreign for them in such a pass-heavy system. Their defense is always going to struggle, but they've done enough, I think, to warrant being better than 0-3 in conference. Yeah, okay. No, that's uh, probably a good call there, mate. I like that. Thank you. All right. Well, take us through your Big 12. This will be good because obviously Oklahoma State going to get a mention here. Yeah, well, they do, but it's probably not where I want. So, unfortunately, 
Uh, Oklahoma are the clear top of the class. We're talking real top gun shit here. They they are a clear cut above the rest. And this is a good conference, but Oklahoma are a step above everyone else at the moment. So I they're, they're shooting for one of the spots in the conference championship game. I will just dive in here quickly because for those people that don't know, this is the only Power 5 conference without two divisions. So, uh, yeah, you're not going to hear... You've got to play everyone. You've got to play everyone. And then you get a, a, a new, relatively new addition is the conference championship game, which Oklahoma will play Texas in again. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, that's a, a, Texas are certainly the ones that are looking likely to shape up there. So they dropped the one to Oklahoma in the Red River rivalry recently. Uh, that they won last year, which helped them through this. So they've kind of got to be careful now because if they drop another one in conference, it, it could become a bit of a feeding frenzy. And then there's going to be, you know, matchups of who beat who. And I don't know how the tiebreakers work there if it gets really weird because there are going to be a few teams around that mark. The other ones that the moment that look like uh, making a run for things would be Baylor. Haven't lost yet. Uh, and if they keep that up, then they're going to be in that mix, obviously. And Iowa State, uh, another really good team. So it looks like that group uh, are the ones that are chasing Oklahoma at the moment. Uh, I would like to say it's my Oklahoma State Cowboys as well. They've gone one and two in conference, which is not a good place to be. I still feel that they have the talent. Maybe I'm being a, a bit biased there. And if I have to be perfectly honest, they probably get the class clown title unfortunately with it with a loss to texas tech uh you you kind of need to win that game if you want to be distancing yourself and putting yourself into that next step and they weren't able to do that and it just seemed like it was a lack of something because they had been really impressive earlier in the year and it seems like they've got the playmakers there where they've got the leading rusher in the nation they've got the number five receiver the offense is top five overall again defensively oh it's yeah. still an issue it's still a massive issue it hasn't been addressed and that is kind of holding them back. So it means that they're clowning around a little bit and not going to reach that full potential. Well, Mike Gundy's never actually been able to put together a quality defense, and he continues to play good teams tight, whether it's Bedlam against Oklahoma or against Texas, and you always feel that Oklahoma State's going to keep that one close or win, but then they're always good for dropping a game that they just shouldn't, and... You know, I mean, you could put it down Spencer Sanders being a new quarterback and he turned the ball over a bit and all those sorts of things. But I don't know. There's just something that... Are, are we at a point with Oklahoma State that maybe you think about moving on? Nah, certainly not. So yeah. you're happy with mediocrity? Well, it's not mediocrity, though. You're talking 10-win seasons. I know you've got to be careful what you wish for here, but... Yeah, okay, but 10 win seasons that never get you to a championship game. But we we have been in championship game. Like we before we didn't have a championship game, so we didn't get opportunity for it. We would miss out and Oklahoma would win the national championship in lieu of a championship game. They they have finished second without the opportunity to play off in it a lot recently. I think it's not Mike Gundy is an issue, and I know a lot of Oklahoma State fans are starting to kind of lean a little bit that way with, with what you're saying. It, that's not the problem. You've got to sort out defensively something. Which is his responsibility. He's the head coach. He is, he is, but he is more of an offensive-minded guy. He runs that side of the program, and then he brings people in to assist with that, and, and it hasn't worked at this stage. 
But I stick with that. I keep trying to do things there. I think it's a lot harder to match that uh, production that you get on offense from scheme with a lower level of talent than it is on the defensive side of the ball. Where mm-hmm. if you're only getting in two and three star guys mm-hmm. for the defensive side, which Oklahoma State relies on, mm-hmm. then it's a lot harder to kind of be creative and make that work and have an effective defense. Gary Patterson did it. He, you know, he's got that. Um, yeah, but he's, he's a real field. special. Yeah, coach. he is. Like you're talking yeah. a real exception. I'm just, just saying. Just in get g- him in. In, yeah, in general, <laughs> you can scheme up with a lower level of talent I believe and or get the most out of your talent where defensively you kind of need to playing off the back foot a little bit exactly right you need to rely on what's being given to you and sometimes you are limited a little bit by a lack of athleticism okay cool Uh, well that takes us through four out of five I'm going to go to the conference that involves drunk three-legged races and Stephen Hawking lookalikes mm-hmm. and that is the ACC in the coastal we've got Duke Virginia and North Carolina all sitting at two and one and they are all really bad in the Atlantic we've got Clemson who are four and zero. Oh. they will go three games clear after this weekend <laughs> against Louisville that is insane <laughs> so um Oh, fuck, what a dumpster fire. The class clown, I don't know. I'm going to say Florida State, but they're not alone. Uh, probably Virginia... Oh, Virginia Tech's actually I would not, not want to be the teacher in this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the special class where if you're going on a field trip, you're putting helmets on the kids, there's mouth guards going in, and you're strapping them to the seats because shit's getting real. Um... You might need a padded room in your classroom somewhere where those kids can just go and settle down. I think the padded room's for the teacher at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. You think we drink a lot of alcohol. Imagine <laughs> teaching this class. I think Florida State, with the talent they've got up front with Marco Wilson on the defensive line, uh, the you know all their defensive players are capable enough. They've got Asante Samuel Jr. on the outside. Uh, Cam Akers, James Blackman is a hot mess at quarterback. They've got to sort that quarterback situation out. The offensive line is terrible. Uh, I watched them just get absolutely destroyed by Clemson. So I would say Florida State, yes, they're talented. They're poorly coached. And uh, the ACC is... I mean, you made the comment earlier today that the American actually would be pushing the ACC as the the fifth of the Power Five conferences. And at this stage, I wouldn't really disagree. Which is just a scary thought, really. Yeah, it is. But there's some good teams there. Like Houston is in the the heart of Texas, which is a big recruiting area. You've got Memphis, Tennessee. You've got UCF, which have got the reputation of being continually good temple and like uh, eighty thousand students or something ridiculous. yeah yeah temple uh, <laughs> <laughs> i mean not exactly a football hotbed but uh <laughs> they they do some things is that philly e- tough yeah smu i mean they're obviously in dallas so there's you know some good teams anyway pushing on let's have a quick look we're going to spend a little bit of time i don't know how long this episode's been going for at least three million years at this stage <laughs> we're, we're clocking up well over an hour are we fuck we've still got a ways to go here as well um we said it would be a bit of a different episode it would right? be a bit of a different episode so on that maybe just hit pause grab yourself a drink uh you know take a bit of time go and just 
I don't know, sink one into the missus or something, or for all the girls out there, just, you know, jump on the sword, whatever the case may be, (laughs) whatever you're going to do. But have a bit of a breather, have a shower, clean yourself up, and then, uh, yeah, we'll give you a bit of time, and then chuck us back in the old ears.